0: Welcome to Talk with Petri so. I'm your host, Petri. And today's guest is serial entrepreneur and angel investor, Mikke Pakvalainen. Welcome, Mikke. Thank you. You started your entrepreneur career at 17 years old. You have raised over 100 million in venture capital. You have several successful exits. What are the lessons you have learned? I think you call them your thesis. And let's start with your desert walk what is a desert walk
1: yeah desert walk is every entrepreneurship there's something common in every company i've started and that's um, that's that it a every time it takes three years to find a business model uh to 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 get everything nailed down value propositions ideal customer profiles so I, uh, I started to call it Desert Walk, and, uh, and it's been the commonality of every, every company I've started at. It, it takes approximately three years to get there, but then things start to roll.
0: And what are the other ones? I think you had uh, maybe three or four more.
1: You have to remind me now, when we had this discussion.
0: Yeah, you were you were showing me those fancy slides, and and I, I, you mentioned people and culture. I think and corporate covenants and yeah. uh, flexible yeah. finance yeah. Okay. And comes okay. to my mind. So, okay. so you wanna actually just uh, say a little bit of those as well, because I think those are, and we can then go to the stories, because I don't think you just came up one morning and wrote them down. It was more like that uh, you you were actually experiencing them. But you know, I, I think giving the thesis first. And then going to actual stories, how you actually came up with them properly, you know, gives people a little bit of idea that, you know, what, what happened and how the struggle actually made those yeah. two. Uh, so so two
1: the second one is corporate governance. And, and, and people tend to diminish the importance of corporate governance when, when setting up a company. It corporate governance is actually, it's, it's extremely important, uh, not only for, for the internal uh, company, um, but also externally when you're looking for funding. If you don't have your books in order, you know the the value of the company will deteriorate over time. So, corporate governance is a kind of a broader concept. It's it's about both having your books in order from start, but also of actually thinking proactively and engaging the right people at the right time proactively, so that you 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 know, it's almost like building a house, you need to do the, you know, there's certain things you need to do in sequential order. And, and but corporate governance is definitely one that you need to start with. Then uh, I think I mentioned about the culture and the, the importance of values. And and uh, I've seen it, you know, especially when it comes to recruitments and, and when it comes to building teams, powerful teams, you know, having sound uh, values and um, you know, it's not th- something that you just invent. It has to come from your inside of you. And as a founder, you are the one who is actually carrying those values on a daily basis. So I would say that you know, values, corporate governance, and then the desert walk, that's some of the commonalities and some of the things that you know, people very easily stumble on very early in the, in, when they're building a company. When they're so excited about the product, That they forget all these other things that actually can make or break it for you.
0: Let's start with telepol. I think that's really successful case, but there are also some uh, dire lessons to learn as well. And can you let's start from the beginning from there. Uh, What is telepol? How did you come up with the idea and, and Then can you you sort of tell the story and maybe I can ask some questions in the meanwhile, but uh, let's get started with uh, from the beginning. Uh,
1: So for those who don't know Telepo, we were very early on in the voice over IP business, Uh, that was end of the 1990s. Uh, I was part of a a very exciting journey called Hotsip, Uh, SIP being the the standard protocol for uh, multimedia communication. Back back then it was H three two three and we kind of uh, and it only supported voice communication. So we, we kind of uh, set up a company called Hotsip, which was later acquired by Oracle. And, and the investors were they were the big ones like three Eyes and Aragonor and Legend and the big guys, and and they had this kind of view that uh, that it's the service providers that's going to dominate the world. And, and, and so we, we, we for, uh, for a couple of years, we tried to convince them to, to kind of, hey, look, we have this service called Sippo service, which was actually a very nice service. You could do, mul- you can do multiple things. You could do online video. You could do online gaming. Was, uh, actually, presence was part of that. Voice, video, you know, all of that uh, was part of that. It was like a soft client. Um, and, and we tried to convince them that the future is there and and uh, they were no 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 you you guys you need to build you know infrastructure for the big telcos service providers and we kind of um, "Mm, okay uh in came a guy who said okay you know you you, you're scrapping your your consumer service right because we had this soft client beautiful soft client and we said yeah unfortunately and um, i remember
0: actually i was uh, one of the Probably the first first uh, people to also you know use it and it it was it was so so fancy you know what what it he was, would do with it. It was then.
1: it was like uh, remember it's yeah. all it's more than 25 years ago, so it's the it, time flies. Uh, so we had this uh, guy coming in and saying, okay, I, mean, I can take over him. Said okay, you know you here are the guys who can do it for you and help you do it. And like 18 months later, he sold the company for I think it was 4.8 billion. Uh, and it was funny to see how wrong, you know, these big corporate venture capitalists can be. And it was actually Skype. So I remember that meeting when we met Niklas Senström back in, uh, in Stockholm. But uh, from there on, we were convinced that uh, the consumer side, the B2C, is, is where we need to go. And, and uh, so I jumped off. 2003, I jumped off Hotsip, where I was the biggest private investor at that time. And I started to, you know, with of course with the acceptance of the investor, I started to look at the the consumer side, and and uh, and uh, what are the consumer services we can build? And of that came Telepo, which eventually then ended up being a a more than a you know very much a B two B platform for enterprises. And today, actually, I think Telepo is the largest uh, platform for 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 telcos providing B2B services in Europe. We sold it to Astra who then sold it to Mitel and now it's part of a bigger group. But many many learnings from it. But there. it's not that many, simple
0: like any business. In the beginning you were you were building it you had a did you have a, one or two co-founders in there and uh, you started yeah. to have it as a cash flow positive company and can you tell what happens when you start to invite also some VCs in
1: Yeah so what happened was we, we, we grew the company we actually grew organically 100 percent every year so by 2008 we were doing roughly roughly 10 million ARR and um, I think it was eight to be to be honest and, and we had a order stock of 10 million so we were really you know, looking forward to a rapid growth going from then ten to twenty to forty to hundred. And, and a year earlier we brought on a company called our venture capital firm called Axel Partners. And they were like, you know, <clears throat> they were like saying that you, you need you need to fire this, you need to fire this. It's going really well. And 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 you need to bring in the big corporate guys. Uh, you know, uh, you need to bring in a CEO, a, a seasoned uh, a CEO. You need to bring in a seasoned sales team and stuff like that. So what happened then was after a year, I actually, they, they unfortunately, they convinced me that, you know, uh, to step down as a founder and, and bring in uh, one of the guys was head of Oracle service sales in Europe. And the other guy was head of uh, Cisco's enterprise sales in Europe. And, uh, and uh, those two guys uh, came on board and uh, unfortunately it was 2008 when the financial crisis hit. So, so what, we ha- what happened was that we, we actually fourfolded our, our cost base but the revenue started dropping. So we actually lost 50% revenues every year from there on and, and the formula didn't work at all. So uh, later on a uh, couple of years down the road uh, that team was was gone but the company was more or less empty and had to restart and unfortunately, uh, fortunately we had a a really good coo who who took over it and uh, and actually get, got the company back on its feet we did a fundraising and and then uh, it was sold but the uh, les- lesson learned there was you know never ever remove the the founder from the equation because when you do that, uh, it's so much of the company value base and soul and all the, all those kind of things that I talked about earlier. It's, 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 it's not, it's not like a machine where you can just replace one thing with another. It's, it, it's actually a founder is is extremely critical for a company's success. And I've, every company I've been in and every company I've invested in, I've seen the same thing happen over and over again. So you know make sure you, you keep the f- founders uh, happy. And that's one of the things I've, I've uh, learned the hard way. And during this uh, journey, of course, then we've, uh, we were diluted down to almost zero.
0: And, and you also mentioned that they convinced you to, to step down, but was there also some other mechanisms uh, yeah. where you have to be aware of, you know, I, that's probably coming from the corporate governance, I would guess, the shareholder agreement and investment agreement and all these things which sound so boring and, and you know, you, you don't want to pay attention to those. You know, if you're busy to build your company, that's the sentiment at least usually, but, but.
1: yeah, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, we, we back in early 2000 or 2006, when we brought on this, uh, it was not only Axel it was a couple of other VCs. We didn't really understand the value of a shareholders agreement. So for us, you know, we had two thirds of the company, and uh, and we were okay, you know, with with splitting the board. So basically, they got half of the board, we got half of the board. So we, we didn't really care much about that. We, we were just building a company, and they also got a decisive vote when choosing chairman, and that was actually the one of the biggest mistakes we've done, because <clears throat> when the going got stuff, you know, which. Always it gets. We we were kind of uh, we were building uh, we were growing so fast that we needed continuously to to increase our working capital, and 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 two thousand eight financial crisis came. Uh, we need to we needed to fill our war chest, and uh, and of course they I mean they stepped up, uh, you know they're professional investors, but they they did have some uh, some special terms. Uh, since I've been objecting the 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 changing the management or changing the CEO for a while and we had the majority they had this small clause embedded in that uh, agreement where basically they had they had basically the right to decide when the company was supposed to 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 rep, uh, change the CEO and so so they exercised that right pretty quickly after they they kind of financed us um, and, uh, and that ended up, okay, I got a good deal, but that ended up uh, you know, basically destroying the company, which uh, unfortunately today, I mean, Telepo is doing, I, I hear that it's the Europe's largest infrastructure provider for these kind of services. So, and they, I know that they, for example, in Sweden, they have uh, many millions of daily users as well. So it's, it's unfortunate, but uh, sometimes you, you, you do these mistakes. And, uh, and that was one of the mistakes.
0: So, how would you do it uh, differently now? If 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 I recap, you you build it from scratch. Basically, you, you were cash flow positive as well, and, and yep. you were doubling the, the revenues, and it was looking good. And, and then you were like, okay, let's make it a bit faster. Let's take some additional capital. But basically, then you were sideline it, and, and then the financial crisis hit, and, and those things happened. So, what would you do now? I would, if be, you would be in the same situation
1: yes sorry uh, i would be extremely aware with the cost base so what we did was what we built up a cost base for a, a, a extremely rapid growth so as i said you know we were looking at the growth rates from you know we were doing 100 percent every year organically and and they wanted us to continue to do it at 100 but that means also that you have to build your cost base in order to support that and sustain that and and i would look for efficiencies there instead of just you know ramping up Uh, you know we i think we interviewed some 500 people at that time we were really you know bringing in uh, a lot of people Uh, and 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 i think what that's one of the core mistakes is when the cost control got out of hands uh it, it was like we had the cash but when when the start the cash started to diminish that was when the problem started of course when because the growth didn't come and we had the financial crisis so we didn't get that growth that we were looking for short term and that short term turned out to be a, 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 a very uh, unhealthy exercise for us.
0: How much um, funds did you actually raise? And how, Do you remember the burn rate? Because usually what happens is that when you're actually going fast and you need to work in capital yeah. and have a lot of payroll as well, you raise a lot of money, but you also lose a lot of money per, per month in you know, a basis if you are not uh, that yeah. profitable, or you need it for, for the growth as well. So it, it things can go quickly wrong.
1: Yeah, we were we were actually when I was running the company, we had a burn rate of approximately uh, 500k a month, burn rate, and we were doing uh, revenues slightly north of that. So we were, like I said, we were cash flow positive. When we brought on the new, the new management, suddenly the, the, the burn rate jumped uh, from 500 to well above 1 million. And, 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 but the revenues didn't jump that much. So that's where we started to really, really, really quickly burn money. And I, we brought in almost 10 million at that point of time in, in chunks, uh, but uh, that wasn't enough. So uh, it was like a unfortunate situation, but uh, make sure that you don't, you know. Like a f- co-founder, you're always aware, you know. You always keep, you always look for the money, look after the money in a completely different way that the the, the venture capitalist does, and and that's you know they we have different interests, and 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 uh, and unfortunately those interests didn't meet at that point of time. Uh, they were good. I mean, I I can't complain. They, you know, they they had big uh, big hopes and they had big plans for us, and they 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 actually brought in some really good people. But you know, this terminal mistake of actually uh, actually starting to to grow uh, the cost base was the biggest mistake we ever did. Without actually you know making sure that we had the, had the long term sustainability for it a great company
0: but then you were and, and still is um then you learned from your these these lessons and you started something called kiosk mm-hmm. and, and that was a few years later yeah can you tell what is kiosk and uh explain the case you know whichever way you wanna, wanna go ahead
1: so i took a couple of years break You know, I I, I actually got a really good deal from them. So I took a couple of years break and I started to look around. What's the kind of, what's the next challenge I want to take? And in Finland, something called Alto University had been just founded. So I started wandering around there and looking, okay, are there any, any interesting things to do? And there was a couple of, you know, there was a a couple of persons who were actually working on something called Alto Entrepreneurship Society. And I tried to convince my, these investors, uh, Axel and all these guys, that, hey, Finland is a hot place. This was like 2009. Finland is the place, you know, there's the, you know everything, everything, you know, really cool things are happening in Finland. They are, you know, it's bubbling. And they were like, nah, it's, you know, it's too far away, too far away. We're not interested. You know, later on, they, you know, they made some super good investment in Supercells and and in Rovio's and, you know, but that was like three years earlier. So I started to wander around there and see and help these guys. And, and we went on tour to try to find, you know, different, uh, uh exciting companies. One of them is today is, uh, in the music business, a, a very well known brand called musician that we found. And, and so it was really exciting times it was a kind of a new generation entrepreneurship generation growing up back then that wanted to take risk. And they've gotten rewarded very well. So Mickey Kusi Volt was one of those guys that you know I spent a lot of time there, um, mentoring and helping. And uh, and uh, back then I, I I I I actually met my co-founder at the kiosk. He had this idea of tagging images. I said, why not? You know, it's it's a great idea, and e-commerce is just around the corner. Why not? You know, combine uh, e-commerce and tagging with each other, and you know something that, you know, basically what it means is that you can monetize every impulse. And that was like early 2010. Monetizing impulses wasn't interesting. So really. it was like
0: Instagram just started, YouTube exactly. was, I exactly. don't know, four or five years old, and was it mm. iPhone 4s or something around that time, or was yeah. it even 4? Yeah. 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 So, you know, we are talking really early, early years.
1: Yeah. But it was super exciting because we we call it a web-wide shop and, and basically every you, you know you, the intent was that you could purchase anything you see. Anything you see can be yours was our kind of tagline. So basically being able to use the phone to basically purchase anything that you see and, and auto-recognize it and basically enabling it to be. But the problem was that there wasn't any solution on the e-commerce side. E-commerce was very early days then it was Magento and all those guys were very, very early. So this kind of uh, one-click purchase uh, solutions wasn't out there. So it, it actually ended up for us of we had to basically we had to take the customer to a to a store, and, and that single you know thing uh, killed the whole business case. If we would have had back then you know uh, one-click shopping available, you know social commerce would be on a completely different level than it is today but we we basically we we made it really you know contextual tagging we 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 almost made it 100% uh, accurate so we worked with all these big publishers in the UK like mirror times uh, all of those they had it on their website and 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 we we were able to do contextual tagging automatically and 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 uh, so we we had something which was kind of really really super super slick and nice and we also did video tagging uh, so it, it, you know like, remember it was 2011 but as the business model didn't fly you know we we didn't really make any money because it was everything you know it was all about the kind of a it wasn't the C, it was all about the CTA pricing uh, so so basically you know you had to purchase in order for us to to to, to earn any money. And, and and so we ended up uh, pivoting the whole business in 2012 and going more into advertising. And so we used the same technology uh, to build our own ad servers. And then uh, further on down the road, uh, 2015, when Google introduced header bidding and all these kind of new technologies, uh, we we went into that business as well. So we we kind of uh, we pivoted quite a few times during the during the way and uh, and uh, and we also we did pretty well actually I would say we we until 2015 we we once again we we double our revenues every year so it was an exciting journey we had a great team we had a great corporate values we had good corporate governance we had a great uh, board but then uh, 2015 we all know that Google and Facebook decided that they want to take the the that market. So we were kind of, uh, we were forced to kind of uh, pivot once again.
0: And you also raised a little bit of money, I would say. It, it was uh, angel investors, then there was some VC money yeah. and, and also some other other means, the European Investment Bank. And uh, it was in, 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 in two digits in uh, In in millions, what you raised altogether?
1: Yeah, yeah, we had we had really good investors back then, and uh, and uh, the funny thing was that we we quite early on tried to to kind of uh, remember what we did wrong in in Telepo, and so we started to look for different debt instruments. And and uh, and uh, and I heard some rumors that European investment bank had been in Finland pitching that they were setting up some you know debt instruments. And, uh, and uh, they had been there in two, April 2000, I think it was 2015. And, uh, and uh, I, I, you know, I just decided to call them up and ask them, how did it go? What's up? And I said, no interest in Finland, nowhere. I said, hey, this was in June. I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm really interested. But I said, oh, we don't have even had the agreements here for this. So I said, I can fix those for you guys. So if we ended up <laughs> of actually closing that uh, 15 million investment round, actually together with European, writing the core agreements that they are using today, together with them and setting up this, uh, this facility of 15 million. And, and it was a really quick exercise. We did it in less than four weeks it's because it needed to be done before they went on vacation in August. So we actually signed the papers in end of July. So first contact was, I think it was midsummer uh, midsummer day, uh, wow. June. And, and then we closed the, the round in, uh, or the debt instrument in uh, in end of July. So it was a really, really, really good ride for us. And in that time, we also wrote all the agreements that, uh, for them so that they could actually go. But the, the, the only thing they had was money back then. But they were really eagerly looking for for promising startups. So that was was really good for us.
0: And when you got the money, Mm -hmm. I think that was almost like the turning point when things started to go a bit rough with the kiosk. And also you had some personal issues as well. Yeah. Can you walk us through? uh, Yeah,
1: we had grown, like I said, we had grown kiosk also 100% every year. So by 2015, we actually we we was then we were the fastest growing company in finland remember supercell is also there was also here so we got this reward for for the fastest growing company in finland and we were doing something like 20 million a little bit less than 20 million in revenues and we got the 15 million uh what happened then was that uh, google came out with this new technology and actually more or less decided together with facebook that they're going to take over the market so in in, in, uh, in less than 12 months we basically lost 50 percent of our revenues without losing a single client or customer so this uh, this this was kind of a really big inflection point for us and and we had to to basically we had to go back in, into the engineering room and uh, redesign the technology and and that together with that we had to actually uh we had to uh, take down the number of employees unfortunately uh, quite radically from uh, we were i think we were close to hundred back then uh, we we had to to do a couple of layoff rounds big layoff rounds actually you know triggered um, triggered a what i have now is uh, is uh, is uh, diabetes 1 so i actually i had to i had to leave the company i had to take a cup uh, year off then back then that was 2016 and i i didn't really recognize that i was ill until almost at the last minute uh, i had lost uh, 20 kilos of weight i had lost almost my eyesight but i was still going strong i was still you know we'll fix this we'll fix this uh, luckily I had a really good co-founder who basically could jump on and take over the company after me but it was uh, it was a really tough ride so I ended up in in emergency room in hospital for a week and then uh, basically I had to stop working for for a year in order to to get back my health and now I'm living with diabetes but it's not the end of the world it's uh, you know you 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 actually you 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 have to take care but you learn that you have to take care better of yourself so sleep well, eat well, and exercise well.
0: Are there any any signals um, founders who are listening now could could sort of pick up that, you know, warning signs or some things that you could sort of catch it a bit earlier than before you're in the emergency room?
1: They don't do the same mistakes. So what I did was I was like back then I was I was traveling like uh, yeah, I, I did, I did, I think I did in, I calculated, I did uh, just back and forth travel to Stockholm back in those days, I did twice a week back and forth to Stockholm, and from Stockholm, then I travel everywhere around the world. Uh, so I was, I was actually, I was I spent more than 30% of my, my awakening time on the planes, I was, uh, I was sleeping two, three hours a day, having, uh, having small kids, or not small kids, they were already you know teenagers back then but sleeping two three hours a a night and 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 basically you know don't do that it will come back and hit you so it was uh, like a somehow it became a game for me to to survive and uh, and that game ended up you know taking me to to hospital i started to lose rapidly lose well weight in 2016 like a half a kilo per day like I said, I lost my eyesight, I, lost my, uh, I started to lose skin on my, my, my bones, like big chunks of skin on my bones. I started to drink water. And somehow, you know, at that point of time, your body, you know, it's just in a survivor mode. You don't think. And until, you know, in the last minute, I had a good friend who actually recommended me to go to hospital and do a check. And uh, when they did the blood screening in hospital, my blood sugar was above 100, so they couldn't even measure it anymore. And and so they just, you know, the only thing they did was they kind of put me into the emergency room and, and I stayed there for almost a week. Thank, luckily, they told me that later, that was a Saturday evening, they told me I wouldn't have woken up anymore on Monday morning. I was in that bad shape.
0: So how do you how do you work? Uh, how is your work-life balance nowadays? What have you learned?
1: <laughs> yeah, do you really learn ever? You know, I've uh, I, I still do I still do a lot of work, uh, but I try to sleep eight hours a day, seven eight hours a day. I, I eat very uh, healthy. Uh, I'm not exercising as much as I used to do, which I should be doing. But luckily we have something called a winter coming up here and I love skiing. So, uh, in a couple of, uh, months I will be skiing every day, but, uh, yeah, it, it taught me the importance of taking care of yourself because there's nobody else to take care of yourself. You can take care of employees. You can take care of the companies, you know, you have, you know, you have this kind of, as a founder, you have this kind of, uh, you know, for you, it's important to, to, to make sure that everybody is feeling well, but you know, you need to take care of yourself first, because otherwise it's not going to fly. It, it was, for me, it was like almost fatal. Unfortunately.
0: Let's have something fun in a, uh, as the as next one, or at least something cool, which I think is cool, uh, maybe some of the audience as well. Candela, <laughs> what is it? Uh, how did you get involved and, and how is it disrupting the world?
1: Yeah, so Candela is actually. I got two thousand and fourteen. A friend of mine uh, contacted me and said he has this great idea. He had read the you know comic books in in, in Sweden and and he had seen this great thing that you know you can boil these uh, flying boats. And 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 <laughs> and, <laughs> and actually some of them were already built. Actually, already in in uh, in the nineteenth early uh, late nineteenth century. So so. We started to kind of look around or you know are there any you know is this possible and uh, then i promised to help him to set up the company and and uh, and um, so gustav uh, hasselskog the founder is actually the inventor and i don't want to take any credit but it was a fun journey so for the first two years i'll him him to set up the company i helped him to 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 create the kind of the vision to i helped him with go to market i think actually i was very uh, very uh I was very involved in the in the sales which the first 20 boats we sold I was personally doing myself and and but he was actually doing the designs and it was like it was a big struggle for them back then 2014 and 2016 getting the algorithms right getting you know you know the the, the, the balance of the boat right the everything but when you look at it now uh, it's I think it's the world's largest uh, today a, a, a electric uh, speedboat and they're doing extremely well now. They are actually they, they've gotten really good investors. I know that what's public is that Chris Anderson has invested there a lot of money and and now for example that Stockholm city is is actually is testing out their new transport they are actually doing starting to do much more water transportation with Candela so Candela is turning from being a speedboat to being a much more uh, broader uh, offering yeah. and it's uh, it's working really well. The only pro- problem is the price point. It's uh, it's unfortunately a little bit too high for me. But it was a fun ride to basically build that company from scratch with Gustav and 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 seeing it fly and then uh, 2016 uh, what we did was we we brought i did you know when i was sick i couldn't do it i was basically you know i stopped doing any work 2016 we had to find a new chairman and our fo- boat we had a former boss called uh, hansa linder who stepped up and uh, took over the chairmanship and uh, i left them back then
0: do you still remember that you said that you were involved with the first 20 sales what mm. was the sales pitch how do you How do you sell? Who are the first buyers for something which hasn't been done before? And, uh, you know, what was the pitch?
1: I was it was great. It was uh, typically, I mean, the first customer, we couldn't even believe that it was the first customer. We got an email one night that was, you know, claimed to be the CTO of Microsoft, uh, who had seen somewhere here on the net. He had seen, uh, you know, something about Candela and said he wants one. So we had to check them. He actually was the CTO of Microsoft. So it was like these very uh, enthusiastic engineers who saw that this is a revolutionary thing. Uh, We also had a very, very famous uh, entrepreneur in Finland, serial entrepreneur in Finland, who said, you know, I'm going to buy your boat. I'm going to pay double price. I don't want the boat. I just want to make, I want to make, see that this happens. I just want to make one ride with the boat. And and then that's fine for me. So uh, so well, there are these kind of people and and uh, fantastic people. I don't want to name them, but they are you know fantastic. So most of them were really pioneers and tech. Uh, many of them were like tech, tech entrepreneurs that had done well and wanted to see this fly. So it was uh, it was uh, exciting sales. It was in in a way it was an easy sale because they didn't have they, they had the money. It was just, you know, they, they, they thought this was a really cool, cool thing. So it was an easy sell. Then came all the troubles and, uh, and, uh, and luckily I, I, I had other things to do then. But right now, I think they're doing really well.
0: You started early. You were 17 years old and, and, and for some reason you started a company. What's the story there? You didn't find anything else to do, or you were bored, or you know school was too boring, or why did yeah. you start as an entrepreneur?
1: Yes, I, I actually jumped off school three times, so so, but that's a separate story. Um, I actually I got so excited about Apple IIe back in the in the nineteen eighties. Uh, and I started to 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 do some. Uh,
0: well, what is uh, Apple IIe for those people who are not so familiar? It was
1: the it, it was the <laughs> It was their kind of. Uh, it was the, the 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 last model they had with those. Uh, no, not those brands, but it was the last model they had before coming out with Lisa and Mac. Uh, the, what is called this uh, Mac Plus, Macintosh uh, computer. So I got excited about that. I had some other early experiences from Spectrum, ZX and those kind of uh, VIC 20, those those uh, computers back then. And, and so I got excited about Apple and started to follow them. And, uh, and uh, then, uh, actually, when uh, the Macintosh came out, it was 1984. Uh, I couldn't afford one, of course. But uh, I actually, back then in 1985, I got the dealership rights for Apple from, uh, you know, basically for the whole south, uh, south of Finland. You know, being 17. Uh, so,
0: so, sorry, this just sounds so crazy. So you, you cannot afford one computer, but you just got for the deal price for the yeah. half of Finland.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was it was it was super nice, you know. It was and, and back then, you know, we had this PageMaker, Quark Express, so everything was about desktop publishing, right? And and then there was FileMaker and Hypercards. HyperCard. Uh, so there was some, some, some software there. But I, I always felt that you know business is what I like. And I, back then I had, uh, as a 17-year-old, I had enrolled at the business school in Finland. And so I started to look, okay, what can I do here? I have the dealership, maybe. So what I do is I started to sell to students in school, uh, Macintoshes. And, and you know they had uh, these special deals, uh, special uh, uh, price for students. So I started to make some money on that one. I set up a shop called Data Age. Uh, and and then we started to see okay what else can we do is there any business software and since there is FileMaker and PageMaker why isn't there BusinessMaker so I found this uh, or we found this uh, great developer in Sweden that had failed once trying to create a bookkeeping uh, software for, for for Macintosh and together we 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 set up a business called uh, initially it was called BusinessMaker. Then it became uh, Nordic Business Solutions. Then it grew, it became Hansa World, and so forth and so forth. And today, I think they, are, uh, they have about one million uh, enterprises using their software. They're still going strong. And uh, we were three founders, myself, my co-founder in Finland, and the developer. And he now, I think, owns most of the uh, shares in the company. And they are doing really well as well. But it was a fun ride. It was a fun ride being part of this journey from the beginning.
0: So, why did you stop uh, being involved with the company? Was it you needed to do the military service, or you wanted to, to you know, do, right. do the school as well? Or?
1: Right. So, I had I had three times already quit business school as well. So, I I felt that it was too you know too boring. Oh, I when, you were, when you were doing bis- when you were doing your own business, and they didn't have any experience or anything like that. It's not like you know and nowadays. You know, the business schools are really good. Back then, we didn't have any. There was no. It was just test it was just uh, you know um, you just had to read and test go to to test nothing more so uh, um, we have this uh, thing called uh, military service in Finland you have to do one year I hadn't done that so uh, i I still had to do that i was twenty four uh, I haven't finished my business school so I had no academic exam so in uh, in nineteen ninety three 94. I decided to I, I need to kind of get something at least, so something on paper. So I, I I sold off my shares in the company way too early. We just back then we had just launched our client service solution. We just had launched our Windows uh, version, and 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 the company was like going like this. So in hindsight, I should never have sold. They they actually the company has been profitable from day one so they're still going strong and profitable but I, I i i ended up doing my military service one year in in finland and then uh, and then taking my my exam from the business school and then going forward to actually i wanted to try a corporate job so i i moved to sweden and and was uh, recruited by the wallenberg family which is very much like the rockefeller family in in the u.s and they had this really exciting uh, I wouldn't say incubator, but uh, basically they had collected, a, they had two companies, holding companies. One was a strategic holding company called Investor, which is huge today. It's basically controlling one more than one third of the Nordic uh, ecosystem. And then they had uh, this company called Incenti, which had all these small exciting companies, med tech companies, you know, industrial companies, uh, uh, Ericsson was part of that portfolio. Uh, um, ASEA was part of that portfolio. So they wanted to kind of divest that portfolio. And, and it was the biggest divesture in, in Sweden back then. So they, they were looking for, for people who could actually do the groundwork and then work with these companies hands on. So I felt that that was a, you know, for an entrepreneur, that was a pretty nice job to see a 150 year old uh, family business on the other side. And so we it was fantastic time. Six years uh, just being able to you know, suck in all the competence that they have uh, gathered for 150 years. Fantastic people, really knowledgeable people. But then, 2000, uh, my friends started, uh, or 1999, 99, my friend started Hotsip. So I ended up jumping over there, and everybody told me that I was crazy. You know, you had a secure job. You had a good pay. You had all these. You know, you had lots of uh, secretaries. You were traveling around the world. You know, you had your future lined up. But you know, startup world is where I belong.
0: So, uh, uh, do you re- still remember when you were thinking about uh, jumping off from that uh, wonderful job? Uh, what was the reasoning behind it? Because this was also was it April two thousand when you actually did the final yeah. jump. Yeah. And uh, for those who actually listened to a few episodes back, there's a Henry Nailert talking about when the market was crashing. Was it lastminute.com? Or was it mm. the, 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 the final IPO, which didn't go well? And, and this is exactly the same time you decided that now is the best time to, to, to go for the uh, startup world.
1: <laughs> it was, a, yeah. yeah uh, they, they had been, we, you know, we, we, we had been playing indoor hockey Twice a week, together with those all those famous Swedish entrepreneurs, and they were everybody asking all the time, asking me, "Okay, when do you jump off? When do you jump off?" They told me about all these fantastic, let's buy it and information highway exits that they've done and and IPOs that they did back then, nineteen ninety nine, two thousand. So finally, I gave up and said, "Okay, let's try it." They had just raised the fund, ninety million dollar uh, fund, and they had invested in. 30 something companies and so I said okay I'll, I'll give it a try I actually had I had an offer on the table to become yeah CTO of one of the largest companies uh, today our oh, CFO sorry of the one of the largest companies of today in the in the Swedish uh, yeah, Swedish companies but uh, I said oh, "No, why don't I give it a try and actually it was on the 20th of April 2000 and that was when the dot-com crash happened so it was the same day i left and joined them that was the the peak of nasdaq back then so i ended up actually my only job was to clean up so i ended up actually going from country to country closing down their offices because they were burning huge amount of money it was like heydays of uh, the dot-com and they were like they 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 had uh, Private apartments all over the world. They had cars. They had everything. So they just burning cash. So I ended up cleaning up all of that and uh, and uh, and traveling around the world and closing down eleven offices and and basically firing all the people. And and uh, the only thing was what's left was a couple, a handful of companies, and and then just you know closing all these companies as well. So it was like a twelve month of just a a, a, a closing down everything unfortunately and i've actually also lost tons of money on that one i was i think i was the third largest private investor in that company in that fund so i lost all that money as well so it was it was another ride to remember when you're a little bit older are
0: there any any stories or experiences or lessons uh with with the? Uh, with that period when you were with the corporate, because it's an exceptional company, it's an exceptional family, mm. and and what I understand that they also quite hands-on doing stuff and understanding. So it's not just looking the uh, profit and losses and and calculating the dividends. It's actually also running the companies and and, and being there involved with the actual operational side. So are there any anything you want to say with, the, I, with the There audience?
1: was a lot of things I learned, but. One of the things that they always said and, and they, they, kind of, uh, they were very kind of down to earth. Um, they have a fantastic family. Uh, take care of each other. The values are really important. One of the things that they always said was, uh, I always remember two things. Uh, Mikke, you can't you know, you, you can fight gravity, but you can't beat it. That was one of the things they said. So, you know, m- make your calls quick. And the other thing was, uh, um, they kind of uh, they were a little bit reluctant to consultants. They always, you know, the the, the the saying was that it's really it's it's really easy to make things complicated. That's why we have consultants. E- really easy to make easy things complicated, but it's really difficult to make difficult things easy. That's why we have us. And that was like, you know, you know, for them it was a. <clears throat> simplicity was really important for example um when when we had we had factories in more than 60 countries we had logistic centers in more than 70 countries and 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 but these guys they knew that they were just you know they were just focusing on one or two kpis constantly so for example a production capacity i remember my boss was like he was like the only number he wants to see is the production capacity utilization rate if it was above 72 percent, he knew that they were making losses. If it was above, uh, below, he knew that they were making losses because they had less. They had more people that they needed, or if it was above, they needed to go do you know a couple of more shifts, which made uh, them unprofitable. So he was like he had this kind of a feeling, you know, he had this understanding of the dynamics of a business that I haven't seen anybody have, you know, later on. And he was also kind of, he was a really good in the numbers. He could spot, uh, he sometimes he even gave, he gave me Excel sheets and said, Mikke, tell me what's wrong here. And he had the capability of actually digesting big amount of numbers in just by glancing at them very quickly. And since I have an interest and a background as a mathematician as well, uh, it actually became one of my big passions. So it was really, it was really funny. We We did some. We did some really nice, uh, what do you call it, not perks, what do we call it, uh, jokes for the, for actually for the board as well back then. we Sometimes we just swapped the numbers and we just made some crazy summarizing and and, and, and they were just happy looking at those numbers and they didn't see those things. <laughs> so it was like, okay. It was, but it was yeah, fantastic. Uh, I had a fantastic boss back
0: then. So what are the KPIs you're... you're- now closely following with the startup investments and in your own companies, do you have that similar kind of? Cash flow, cash flow, cash flow,
1: yeah. You can do growth, but if you don't have the cash flow in order, you know, it doesn't matter. So it's all about the the cash flow, making sure that you have uh, control of your cash flow. And that's also when it comes to financing, that's the cheapest way of financing as well. The more you can get from your customers uh, in advance, you know, the cheaper your financing cost is. The the most expensive capital is, of course, not debt but venture capital, because there you are not only paying interest rate, you're giving away control. and And control is in for an entrepreneur is really important. But I, we can see now in the last few years that actually venture capitalists have started to understand that, and also entrepreneurs have started to understand that. That's why we're seeing so much new debt instruments coming out on the market and. Uh, EIB is also introducing new debt instruments all the time. So, you know, these debt instruments, you know, they 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 can fuel fuel also entrepreneurship. Their the whole kind of their their entrepreneurs uh, drive, because you don't need to give away all that control that we did, we had to give.
0: You've been building something the last two years as well, and uh, uh, what I heard that. You actually used the design thinking approach there as well, knocking on doors of uh, was it hundred different contractors and and you know the in, the target market customers and asking what's wrong and how do you do stuff? Can you explain how do you started to approach because you knew that there's an issue firsthand. there's a problem in industry and there's like how how did you what were the steps that okay, we have an issue here, Houston, there's a problem. And, and and then now you, this week you just mentioned that actually as of today, it's now filed in the, 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 the product, at least the MVP product, is in the in the Apple Store and, and Google store finalisation processes, so they are coming up live pretty soon. So what was the first step? And how do you how do you walk through? And I think this happened in, in the last two years now.
1: Yeah, this is the kind of once again you know when you say never again and you do it again so 2017 when i kind of uh, when i cured and i found a new balance in life i actually started to see what's my big passion in life and that's old buildings old wooden buildings so i i have this old wooden building from the early early uh, um 20th century 1910 it's built by a famous architect called Elias sarinen And I started to renovate it, and I had some really bad experiences, both from a customer experience, but also from from a kind of professional experience. It's really hard to find people who know how to handle these old houses. So I said, okay, this is interesting, because around me here where I live, uh, it's a lake here, just outside of Helsinki. There's like 20 of those buildings, and if I can't find anyone who can fix them, the other ones can't either find so I decided, hmm, there's an opportunity here. So I set up a company called Trehus, which is a wooden house called, and, and, uh, and started to gather those people and, and find those people. But, you know, once again, going into a new category or a new segment, you know, you don't know anything about. It's always a challenge. So the first three years, we were really, you know, doing half a million, a million losses every year trying to find the right people. Construction is not famous for being customer centric. Um, And and we really needed to, we pivoted a couple of times. And and it wasn't until like 18 months ago that we found a secret sauce on how to basically build this business. So now we have 40 people. Um, We're not looking for more people. We actually, we have a solid, good, profitable business. we have two legs to stand on we are both renovating old houses everything from the 15th century until today and then we are also uh, we also we have a carpenter shops two carpenter shops that uh, actually where we do everything from windows to furniture to kitchens we do a lot of kitchens for people you know without Uh, all these plastics and all these glues and all this kind of stuff. It's beautiful, beautiful, like Danish design kitchens by hand. Everything is done by hand. But when we did this pivot, we also recognized that there is no real digital tools out there. I mean, if you look at a typical construction company, they they use 10 to 15 different tools. So everything from, you know, basic like WhatsApp or Slack, uh, to Trello for project management, then they use like Congrid, or they use Excel for calculations, then they use, you know, so they have, they're using, normally they're using between 10 to 15 different uh, SaaS software, for doing all the stuff that can be done in one application. So what we did was, initially we thought that, okay, this is interesting, this is a B2B opportunity as well, but we saw that there's so many dinosaurs out there, so many big B2B platforms out there. So we ended pivoting into the B2C software and actually you know, launched the first application with all these features that you now basically are buying from 10 different sources you can get in one uh, application. Time tracking is embedded included, uh, forecasting is embedded included, reporting is embedded included, everything is mobile. So basically now you can actually get, you can do all the things that you used 10 different software to do, you can do in one solution. And that's what we just launched. And uh, we're slowly growing it now. We know that the market is huge. There's nothing similar. We know that the market is, opportunities is big. And, and, and so we're taking country by country right now.
0: What is your favorite word? Oh, uh,
1: yeah. I think, you know, my favorite word is like, I would say, let's do it. If you have a problem, I mean, there's nothing, you know, for an entrepreneur, it's, it's like, there's no obstacles. So let's just roll up our sleeves and do it. If we have a problem, let's fix it long answer to a short question. What is your
0: least favorite word?
1: Oh, this is the the one that I always get when somebody, you know, when you have corporate people involved, you get this and nobody told me. Nobody told me that. (laughs) Couldn't you figure out yourself? No, but nobody said to me that to do that. That annoys me a
0: lot. What What turns you on creatively? What turns you on creatively, spiritually or emotionally?
1: Developing new things. It, it is so fun to see solving problems and seeing things develop both things and people, it actually is, you know, seeing people grow and, and develop. That's uh, it makes me, you know, makes me feel really good.
0: What turns you off?
1: Uh, there, it's easy. To say one word betrayal and, uh, and uh, for me having worked with the wallenberg family you know that was the key thing you know you're you're honest you're open you're honest you don't betray anyone you know we are all in the same boat so betrayal is a kind of a that's uh, that's a no-go
0: what is your favorite curse word
1: <clears throat> i don't use curse words I like to listen. Uh, there's a famous Swedish uh, musician, Thomas uh, Dorsam, who sings "fån fån fån." It's like "shit shit shit" almost. But that's not curse word I use. But I, it's, that's that's a, that's the kind of music I listen to when I'm really pissed off. And uh, and uh, then just go ahead again.
0: What sound or noise do you love?
1: I'm actually I'm brought out in the Finnish archipelago. It's a beautiful. For those who haven't seen it, it's fantastic. All the different uh, throughout the year, you know, how it changes and the sound of birds, the sound of water, you know, it's it's fantastic. That kind of uh, that's the that's my inner peace. And and the Finnish archipelago everybody should experience it. In the kiosk, we actually we used to take this. We used to have this archipelago race. Where actually, we, once a year, we took all people out uh, in the archipel- Finnish archipelago, to experience it, and they were all amazed every time.
0: What sound or noise do you hate?
1: You know, I have four kids, and uh, with four kids, everything happens. But every now and a while, you hear something breaking, and that's you know, what's happened now, and uh, <laughs> and that's the kind of that's the kind of that sound of breaking, you know that's okay not again. What happened now?
0: What profession other than your own would you like to attempt?
1: I've also always admired lawyers. I always admire because it's. I'm a mathematician. Everything is so logical, and so is law, very logical. So if I would choose a new profession, I would actually probably be a lawyer because I, right now, I'm always writing my own agreements or company agreements as well. Most of them. So i tre- think I'm started to become pretty good at doing that. So and negotiating agreements. So I think a lawyer would be a very natural for me.
0: What profession would you not like to do? Oh,
1: that's easy. That's a corporate job. Doing something where somebody is just telling you what to do constantly and, and having opinions? No. I mean, come on.
0: Hey, but you could say I didn't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> nobody told. No, nobody told me. <laughs> ah, doing a corporate job, That's. know. Uh, ah, I'm not going to do that.
0: If you could be a co-founder of any startup in any era, which one would you choose? Uh, Apple.
1: I was back then intrigued by, you know, I had my first design company actually when I was 16, uh, 16, 17, we were doing designing business cards um, back then with, uh, with the Apple computer. And, and you know, this combination of computing and design is something that's always fascinated me. And and it's the beauty. It's the kind of the, the It's so much, you know. It's the peacefulness. It's the kind of being able to to relax your eye on something that you know is 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 really um, well done. Is is that intrigues me? So I I would design. I would definitely say uh, design and computing.
0: Any final words to the audience?
1: Remember. Yeah, I don't know what what I should say final words, but I would say this is that we entrepreneurs, we are a special breed in a way. We always help each other. And remember to ask for advice. If you want to become an entrepreneur, or if you're an entrepreneur, if you have a business already running, don't be afraid of asking for advice. It's like... You know, it's 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 part of the co- the whole kind of the community that we help each other and and uh, and I, I think giving back is really a, a powerful thing so I think we entrepreneurs we need to uh, give back we need to work more on helping others to become successful that's the only way we can bring things forward so giving back is something you know don't be afraid of asking but don't be afraid of giving back it will always you know you, it will always come back Hope I can uh, Thank you, Mick. Uh, sorry. Hope I can help somebody.
0: Yeah, I, I guess there were so many lessons even in, in this uh, hour we had, so I, I'm, I'm sure somebody already got some ideas from what we, what you said today. And thank you audience as well uh, for joining us today. And till next time.